in the book of Micah, we learn that the people back then are remarkably similar to us now. They also were confused about what God's expectations were. They also wrestled with what God's expectations were. And they found themselves in this place where they felt God's expectations and, and they started, they felt overwhelmed by it or they were just unwilling to do it, right? Some of us are in that place. Maybe it's not unclarity. Maybe if you're new into your relationship with God and you're new to church, you feel like what I just described where it's like you're not sure what everything is and everything's overwhelming. For those of us who have grown up in church for some period of time, uh, we find ourselves in the category of people who know but just don't want to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Rosa. <laughs> we find ourselves in this place where we know what God expects of us and we know what God wants, but we find ourselves resistant to it because we would rather do what we want to do. And that's a dangerous place to be. In the case of the people who Micah was ministering to were calling back to God, they didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. Instead, they wanted to do something extraordinary and over the top. You ever been in that position? Let me describe what they were doing. They would rather show up at church and then worship other gods and do other things and sacrifice to idols and, and go to that ratchet party all week long and then show up and they're like, God, just tell us what we want to do. You want us to sacrifice a thousand rams? You want all the provisions? You want it all? We'll even sacrifice our own kids is basically the point, place that they got to. And that was a, that was a, a pagan uh, way of worship that they had picked up from the pagans. And they were like, we'll even do that. The most important thing to us is our kids. We'll even sacrifice our kids. And, and they're making these extreme offers to God. And this is God's response to them. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, what does God want from us? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today to understand your heart, to understand what it is that you want from us and what it is that you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen. They're trying to give this extraordinary thing to cover up for the fact that they don't want to do what he's been asking for. You know, it'd be like if Megan asked me to load the dishwasher and I was like, I'll give you a car. <laughs> you know, offering something I can't really even afford to give her because I'm unwilling to do what it is that she's asking for. It's silly, isn't it? But we do it with God all the time. Where, you know, God's like, hey, forgive that person. And you're like, how about I cure cancer? You know, and he's like, no, nope, how about you forgive that person? God has this remarkable way of getting to our heart with the small things. That's why we take time each week to talk about money. And that when we talk about worshiping God with our, with our resources and worshiping God with our giving, the reason we talk about it is because money has a sneaky way of sitting on the throne of our hearts and leading us. Not only does it lead us, but we serve it. The things that we will do for money, the, the time that we will sacrifice for more of it, it's embarrassing to me. 
And so God is, God is calling these people and he's like, I want you to worship me. I want you to do this. And it's like, no, we'd rather not. We'd rather buy you a car and give you stuff that we can't actually even give you. And so this is his response. I want you to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with me. This idea of doing justice. We can fall into the same trap when we hear these words, do justice, as we do with his other expectations. And we're like, well, do justice. This is what he wants me to do, and this is what he means. I'm going to save the puppies, all of them. I'm going to join a puppy activist group, and I'm going to save puppies. And we're going to adopt them, and we're going to place them in good homes, and that would be a good thing. But is that the thing that God's heart is beating for? We learn that pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. We learn that from the word. The risk, I guess what I want to say is, if we're ever going to be able to do justice, if we're going to be able to do what's right, we need to define where we learn what's right. Because God's idea of what's right is probably different than your idea of what's right. There's, there's one thing that will make life more frustrating than anything else. And that's having competing priorities. Competing priorities. Sometimes uh, at night, um, when it's time to read my kids' books, I would rather be sleeping. That makes reading that little book extremely difficult for me because I've got ex- competing priorities. I want to be sleeping, and we're reading the superhero book for the 18th time. <laughs> right? I already read you four books. I'll read you another book, but like, I get grumpier as the books increase. <laughs> instead of more pleased because I've got competing priorities in that moment. You with me? Um, In a competing priorities in a marriage, right? One wants to buy a lot of stuff. One wants to save what you use to buy a lot of stuff with. (laughs) Right? You've got competing priorities. One wants to be a party and have their house be the party spot. The other wants to read a book and not have a party. Right? And so we've got these competing priorities and it causes this conflict. And unless you learn how to communicate well, uh, you're going to stay in a place of frustration and you're going to stay in this place of, of, of tension and anger. And so in our marriages, we have to learn well. We, in our workplace, we have to learn to communicate well. In our relationship with God, we need to learn to communicate well. And so our part, of the com- our part of the conversation is speaking to him. When we talked about that last week, his part of the conversation is mostly handled already. We don't have to guess what's on his heart and mind because he's given it to us in written form. But then on top of that, he does speak to us by his Holy Spirit. But his Holy Spirit will just talk to us about what's in here. So we should read it and find out what he wants to talk to us about. You with me? And so it's a life-giving thing. It's a joyful thing. It's an encouraging thing. Is Terry gone? He's probably setting stuff up. I think he'd tell you that the time has increased because it was, desi- it was a delight to be in it. I'm sure Terry would tell you that he's enjoyed learning about this God that, he's, that, that saved him so many years ago. He, got, he had a relationship with Jesus. He, got, he entered a saving relationship with Jesus many years ago. And just now he's starting to understand who is this God who saved me? And what does he want from me? And what does he want for me? So to do justice is to do what's right. It's to do what's righteous, and doing what's right needs to be his definition, not our own definition. Because I think what's right is a gigantic plate of nachos. 
<laughs> he thinks what's right is to care for those who can't care for themselves. We ought to love kindness. This idea of loving kindness. Now, kindness is different than niceness. Kindness gives what you need. Niceness gives what you want. So if I'm, if I'm nice to you, I'll give you everything that you want, when you want it, how you want it. If I'm kind to you, I'm going to give you what you need, even if it's not what you want. You see the difference? Now, that's not an excuse to be rude, <laughs> which is how I took it for a while. It's like, well, Jesus didn't say be nice. You know, so forget you. No, that's not <laughs> kindness. That's obstinance or something worse. But God is calling us to love kindness. And why would he want us to love kindness? Because he loves kindness. And in the same way that he defines what justice is, he defines kind of the parameters for kindness. And so there are certain things that... that there are certain barriers or boundaries that kindness falls in that niceness doesn't. And inside of these barriers, it's, it's about uh, providing care and safety. Yes, sometimes about providing comfort. Always bringing things back to a saving and loving relationship with God. And so in kindness, and we're spurred on toward good works, Right? If I love kindness, I'm, kindness is going to kind of come out of me and I'm going to serve you with kindness. So for me to love kindness is to your benefit. And for you to love kindness is to my benefit. And all of that is to God's benefit because now his kids are treating each other well. We have to love kindness. And the last point is just walking humbly with your God. He said, I expect you to walk humbly with your God. C.S. Lewis defined humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of others more. It was a very helpful definition for me. Because I thought humility meant I've got to just beat myself up and have this sense that I'm trash and I'm not worth anything, and that's humility. That's not humility at all. Humility is seeing the greatness in someone else, amplifying it, magnifying it, and thinking about their needs above your own. You see the difference? When we talk about walking humbly with our God, it's not a matter of saying, I'm trash, I'm worthless, I have no value. It's a matter of looking at God and recognizing the great value of God, recognizing the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. And as we consider these things about God, it takes our eyes, it magnifies God, and it puts us in our proper, humble place. The summation of it is, there's a God, you are him and I'm not. And that's an encouraging thing for me. I mean, we can sing that song we sang during worship, you are good always, you are good, right? And we can't sing that about me. I'm good sometimes. And even then, it's probably because I'm being selfish and I want something. <laughs> right? Using hyperbole, of course, people are like, I thought he was nice. No, I'm kind. <laughs> but to walk humbly with our God is to make much of him and to resist the greatest temptation, which is to make much of me, much of you. 
So when we think, think about walking humbly with our God, let's make much of him. And we don't have to lie to do it. You know, you don't have to be, what's that word, trite? No, that's not the right one. Where you lie to somebody about how good they look so they feel good about themselves and you feel good that you made them feel good about themselves. Another word I'm looking for? Flatter. We don't have to flatter God. He's not interested in flattery. He's fully deserving of whatever, uh, whatever superior word you want to give him. Because he is perfectly holy and perfectly just. He's always good. He's abounding in love and in patience. Right? You can't exaggerate how good he is. And he wouldn't be impressed with pretense anyway. Right? Like if you tried to flatter him. Actually, I used to start my prayers by flattering God. I did, I did. Oh, should I share that, JC? I'm going to. So I used to, sh- I used to try and flatter God at the top of my prayers because I thought it would like give me higher standing when I got to the asking him for stuff. Right? So it's like, God, you're so good, you know, and you're just amazing. And I just said all the really good words I could think of. I front-ended, like front-loaded my prayers with really good words about God. And then I'm like, and I just would really, I really want to serve you and I really want to do this. I really want to live pure and I really want to, you know, do these things for you. And I want to go on missions. I want to give lots of money. And I'm like, I'm sure he's eating this stuff up. He's going to give me whatever I ask for now. You know, and it's like, all I want is a new car, you know. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, I didn't hear anything except for that you want a new car. Because that was the only time you were honest with me just now. Because you can recount things that are true about him, but it's not true from you, so it doesn't carry the value. You know, being like, God, I love you. Well, somebody else loves me. (laughs) That's true. So how my prayer has changed in terms of walking humbly. Now I'm like, you know what? God, I I really want to sin right now. This is what I know is that would be displeasing to you, and you're not happy with my attitude. I know that. I know that you want more for me. I know that you want greater for me. I know you want, you want a, a better life for me than that. You want a more fulfilling thing for me in this moment. All I want is a plate of nachos and you want me to be comforted. Right? And nachos are only comforting until your stomach hurts. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is comforting always. You don't have that regret three hours later and the next day. And so my prayer life changed because I realized that saying flattering things and cramming them all together, God's not pleased with that. He's not interested in that. He wants something more substantive. My honesty is more pleasing to him in that moment than saying the right thing. And the remarkable thing is when I was finally honest with him about these things that I'd been hiding from him for so long, Shocker, he met me. Right? All of a sudden, when I stopped lying to him about how much I didn't want to do bad things, he met me and gave me self-control and a desire to do good things. To overcome the bad things. A lot of quotations. Walk humbly. Means what he says goes. And so the question is, that's what he wants from us, but what does he want for us? This is what he wants for us. 
What he wants from us is what he wants for us. You know, we're not, we're not used to that. If you go at, in the workplace, you're, you're asked to do a task, to, to accomplish a task that's not for you, it's for someone else. It's for your boss, it's for your coworker, it's for the project, it's for something else. But all of this is for our benefit. I already alluded to it a little bit, but if we're walking, if we're doing justice, you benefit from the justice that I'm walking in. The rightness that I walk in, you benefit from, and I benefit from your rightness. And as we are both walking right together, Christ is glorified. Same with kindness, as we love kindness, and we outdo one another in doing good to one another. As I'm kind to you, and you're kind to me, and we're kind to the stranger, together. As we pool our resources and we experience this kind of exponential thing that happens when believers join their faith together, our kindness overflows to the community. And again, Christ is glorified. Because he's like, That's, those are my people doing my work with my heart. And that's beautiful to him. And then lastly, as we walk humbly with our God, as I walk humbly with my God and you walk humbly with your God, it's the same God. As we, as we unite under the cross, then again, you benefit from me thinking much of God and thinking much of you. And I benefit from you thinking much of God and much of me. It doesn't mean, when I, when you, when I say making much of someone or, or thinking much of somebody or thinking greater of someone else, it doesn't mean that's a better brand of person than I am. You know, it's like there's no like better brand of Christian. There is no comparison. It's not like, oh, I want to be where Pastor David is, right? Or I want to be where J.C. Sherrod is, or I want to be where, where X person is. It's not, it's not that kind of comparison. It's like, oh, well, right now I'm like a tier two Christian, but I, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years I could become a four. You know, there are no tiers in Christianity. We're sons and daughters, You can look and be like, I'm inspired by that and I want some of that, but it's not a comparison. Oh, he's doing such a better job than I am. I must not be a very good Christian. The the blood of Jesus, the cross, uh, must have been like, my cross is defective. (laughs) I prayed the prayer. His worked better. Maybe if somebody else prays for me at the altar, like I came up and, you know, <laughs> David prayed for me and I'm still addicted. So I'm going to go to JC instead because he's an elder. So he's like a super Christian. <laughs> you know, there is a place where, you know, it does say go to the elders of the church and have them lay hands, you know, and pray for healing. And there is a place where, but that's because of the authority that's given them in, in government. It's not because there's something accessible to them in God that's not accessible to you. So walk humbly with your God and then we all benefit. So what does he want for us? Or what does he want from us? He wants us. He wants us to do justice. He wants us to, uh, what, what was the second point? Where'd it go? You left me hanging. <laughs> Love kindness and he wants us to walk humbly with our God and that's also what he wants for us because the fruit of that is a transformed life. The fruit of this is life to the fullest. And the fruit of it is pleasing to God because he's glorified. At every point where we fall short of meeting these expectations, Jesus has fully achieved it on our behalf. There is no one more just, 
no one more kind, no one who walks more humbly than Christ. Because he's fully achieved this on our behalf, we can experience the the benefits of the obedience as we learn in our hearts to be obedient. Like even before I'm fully obedient and fully surrendered, like practically fully surrendered in every in every way, I enjoy the benefits of Jesus' obedience. Until until I come into full obedience. Does that make sense? So when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we when we say, Jesus, it's not me anymore, it's you. Forgive me for all the ways that I violated your law. Forgive me all the ways that I violated your desire for me and I've run from what you want for me. Forgive me of that, Jesus. He's faithful to forgive us. Not only does he forgive us, but he gives us eternal life. He's like, yeah, I see you. I forgive you. Here's life. You're going to live forever with me. And here's blessing. As if you've been completely obedient all along. That's a beautiful thing. It's called justification. And that's why there's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus.